Legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is lost cast, and may your ears receive it. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 109. I'm Matt. And I'm Jeff. Last week on episode 108, TubeCast, we talked about YouTube predominantly. And we've got a really great feedback thread from Dan Nagel. Much appreciated. Uh, do some quick kind of summary of some of the feedback. Uh, the podcast was very well received. That's great to hear. Uh, a lot of folks found it very interesting. I think it's a common thread. We've got a lot of listeners who really want to pump up their marketing. You know, they might even have some things for sale, but just haven't found a big enough audience yet. And uh, Dan Nagel was saying that uh, it might make a lot of sense to do like a um, uh, video pretty often instead of a blog, perhaps. Uh, it's actually saying that I noticed a blo- uh, our blog is not really up to date. Uh, we hit 2013 really hard and then gave up on it. That's really true. I think that we kind of uh, just realized that the blog is a lot of work for something that people just don't have the patience for reading these days. It's, uh, you know, and it, it's based on the format, right? Like, it's the stuff we want to do. You know, we've often been very developer-focused, and we love our developer audience, but yeah, as marketers of games, we want to try and hit a slightly different audience, and long-form technical articles are not the way to do that. Yeah, definitely. I still feel like there's a lot of value in having a really great, you know, either postmortem or here's a, you know, a sales post where we collect a lot of uh, numbers from Steam and that kind of thing. And I, we like to uh, do those right, you know, like have a really long article. It's hopefully well written, lots of pictures, and then kind of cross post those to uh, Gama Sutra to kind of, you know, spread knowledge and, uh, you know, get our name out there a little bit. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a place for those kinds of marketing efforts but i think that you know in terms of like our weekly output you know we had discussed like oh we should do a blog every week yeah um and we decided that maybe our efforts would be better spent on a video a week or yeah maybe we did the we timed it last week the video took like 30 minutes start to finish love it yeah love things that are that are quick it was basically like 15 minutes of recording and then 15 minutes of putting together and posting yeah yeah exactly um, yep. Feedback from Warspawn as well. Much appreciated. Uh, said great episode. We really appreciate that. Um, saying that maybe it's not the best idea to kind of have a Lost Cast episode and put it over unrelated video. We were kind of talking about some ideas. I'm a very, you know, brain dump kind of person. I just like, <laughs> I don't have the best filter. So I just like any any idea I have whatsoever. I'm like, hey, Jeff. <laughs> I just vomit <laughs> some idea. And most of the time you're like, oh, Matt, what a mess. You know, but sometimes there's a good idea in there. That's but, pretty uh, much my entire job here at Lost Lake of Games is to temper your bullshit. Vomit, vomit mopper. <laughs> uh, we should put that on your uh, business cards. I should. Uh, I think that makes sense. I mean, sometimes we're looking for easy wins, and it seems like an easy win to kind of just take Lost Cast and put it over some video. Um, but, you know, I've kind of felt for a while that putting up Lost Cast on YouTube isn't the best. I mean, it doesn't really hurt us, but... Nah. There's very few people that are going to consume the podcast that way. Yeah, and it actually is kind of time-consuming. It takes up a lot of uh, processing time, and I actually, I don't know, I, I guess I was kind of having fun writing the scripts that take, like, it's kind of cool. You take a, um, you know, an image, and you take an audio file, and you combine them to make video, and you can even add effects, like, you know, look at the audio data. It's pretty cool. I, I think I was mostly just doing it because I wanted to, but I've gotten to the point where I've realized it takes a lot of time, and it's not really that big of a benefit, so I'm 
I'm willing to uh, take it out back and <laughs> shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that we may have discussed this on the podcast last week, or maybe we talked about it offline, but... Probably. Uh, <laughs> probably both. <laughs> <laughs> probably one or both, yeah. yeah. Um, that it was kind of a filler. You know, we had been kind of wanting to do more stuff on YouTube, but we really hadn't gotten around to it yet. So putting the podcast up was kind of an easy way for us to feel like we were doing something on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Which is dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) It's dangerous to feel like you're making progress when you're not. It is. Yeah. It's very dangerous. I can see that. Uh, Last but not least from Cheers, Philip. Uh, Really appreciate the feedback. Said great episode. And um, let's see. Overall, uh, Philip's feedback was along the lines of like, uh, don't call them let's plays um, because, you know, we're making these videos, especially with like the Project Skirmish thing that's very um, niche or niche. We actually just looked it up. Either either pronunciation is right, so we'll, pro- we'll probably be very inconsistent with that. But that's a very um, niche audience, right? It's like just people who care about game development and maybe just us and maybe just this one game, which is a prototype and might be vaporware. Yeah. Um, so maybe instead of like, hey, let's play some piece of crap game you might never play change it to maybe instead like how to design uh random ranged enemies or like you know how to make melee combat feel good that kind of thing yeah that's kind good of ideas. along the lines that we were talking about last week was that it might be better if the videos have some kind of a purpose or a takeaway yeah exactly uh, other than like yeah matt and jeff kind of talk a bunch while they run around <laughs> and kill things with bad graphics uh it's a learning process <laughs> I'm Our really whole excited. Lives though, are learning processes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. We're pushing forward on the YouTube front, though, because it, it makes a lot of sense. We're making video games, so video content is relatively easy. For yeah, us. well, it's you know, hopefully, experience will just make it better. You know, I feel like the podcast has benefited from being a long-running thing that we spent time and effort on, and you just get better at stuff. Hopefully, yeah, exactly. by doing it a lot, and uh, hopefully, YouTube will go that same direction. Exactly. Yeah, I hope we sound like we've been doing this for three years. <laughs> But who can tell? <laughs> okay, so this episode, we are going to answer some listener questions. Uh, we've got some questions about our logo. We've got a question about monetization. And then finally, I'm going to talk about... I think we should have time this episode. I'm going to talk a little bit about 3D, and that should be a pretty good segue into something that uh, was on your mind as well, Mr. Jeff. That's right. We'll save it for the end, though. Yeah. So first off, uh, again, from Dan Nagel, I uh, really appreciate uh, the feedback and the questions. This is super great. Uh, explain your logo, says uh, Dan. So, uh, this is something that's kind of fun <laughs> for us, Explain yourself. <laughs> what is with this? Um, we've actually did that a long time ago. Our concept was, um, you know, lost decade involves uh, time, right? It's a decade, it's 10 years. And so, we wanted to uh, integrate time somehow into the logo. And so, we had, uh, we were picturing a sundial. And you know how a sundial looks. It's a, basically a slab of metal or, you know, wood, anything really. Probably stone, um, stone is a really common one. The, ours is stone, actually, yeah. And usually, I mean, there has to be some kind of uh, vertical protrusion, something that goes up to, you know, capture the rays of the sun and cast a shadow onto the slab itself. And so we thought it'd be pretty cool if instead of, you know, a thing coming up out of the device or whatever, it would instead be an axe that was smashed, like, you know, <laughs> cut into the, the slab, like if an ogre smacked it in there or something. And right. um, that is what makes up the thing that casts the shadow. And if you look at our logo closely it does cast a shadow over the 10 or to to represent the decade of 10 years right the decade of lostness yes yeah so that was uh done like four years five oh my god really five years yeah 2010 five years or probably like four and a half anyway long time ago 
And uh, that was back when I didn't know anything about, um, like I had, I was just, I was learning Photoshop at the same time I was learning how to use my Cintiq and I didn't know, like I had no art education. I was, I'm surprised I was actually able to get out something that looks as much like what it's supposed to be as it does. <laughs> I was surprised I mean? as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because like, <laughs> um, that was like better than anything I'd would do for like the next six months afterwards you know if i feel like that was kind of beginner's luck or it was kind of sometimes the unicorn type thing <laughs> you just kind of stumbled across this magical thing that worked pretty well i really do feel like there is like your education can hamper you at some points you know um oh, i'll see if i can find a link to this i saw this really excellent uh cartoon where it was basically like uh it showed a picture of this kid drawing right and in the second frame this like art school person shows up and was like no stop that and third frame, it says, play with these instead. And there's like a Rubik's Cube and like a doll and like a protractor or something. And anyway, I'll put it, like, you should go look at the comic. It's much better than me talking about it. But <laughs> you basically say. the concept was like, you're just drawing all the time. And art school comes in and is like, no, 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 no. Stop drawing. You need to learn about perspective and color theory and composition. And it just, right. it, so much of that gets in your head that you lose all confidence when it comes to just putting down pigment, you know? And, and that's kind of what happened to me as well. You just, you get so confused and, and you, you, you're thinking about 10 different things when you're like, I just want to draw a line. Like, can I just put that out of my brain and just draw, you know? It's the same with programming, honestly. You know, I, I remember when I first started making games, uh, I was much more prolific than I am now, I think, even. When I was writing games in QBasic, I didn't care. I didn't even use functions. Everything was a sub. Yes. And, uh... <laughs> I just I just cranked it out, right? I made all the... I mean, they were crappy games. I had no sense of design. But from a technical perspective, I didn't let the tools get in my way. You know, I just like wrote a bunch of QBasic code and it didn't matter and I didn't care. Yeah. And then as soon as I got into programming as a professional career, that's when I started to like second guess myself and worry about architecture. And not that those things aren't important, but the tech can certainly get in the way uh, of your actual progress and vision. They slow you down, right? They can, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it has to slow you down. If you're just thinking about, I want to implement this feature, and like like you were saying, when, you, when you're thinking about QBasic, I, I have fond memories of that. Um, you know, <laughs> it's funny thinking back on it, because like I bet a lot of listeners didn't get that thing you were saying about functions versus subs, but the way QBasic worked is like, and, and this is the way that we would learn it, is um, it was just a, a buttload of code, just so much code, right? Really unmanageable. And then uh, I learned about sub functions is what they're actually called but you just call them subs and i think QBasic would just call them subs and you hit like f2 to bring up a list of your subs and then it was basically a way to organize your code and you could limit it to you know uh, instead of it just being this one giant page you could have little um subs basically right but it's sh short for subroutine subroutine okay but right. the funny thing is is it's exactly it's managed exactly the same way as actual functions right they just don't return anything so the way that we were coding we didn't even know any better was we would like set globals basically right right Everything but there actually were functions yeah. and i learned that later and like you can totally just like you know oh return and you call it the same way too as you would a subroutine right Right. But it's like, just just knowing, like, we knew just enough to get a lot done. We only knew, needed to know about subroutines. I just need to get some code out of here and have this little area where I can have some code in isolation, right? We didn't even need functions. Isn't that crazy? Like, just the knowledge about functions may have ended up slowing us down. Yeah. <laughs> Craziness. Um, I've, se I've seen this a lot, too. I'll get really bogged down sometimes just by choosing a freaking brush or, like, just choosing, a, 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 like, a resolution of my canvas. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Before I'm even laying down lines or doing anything worthwhile, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> and it happens to next? a lot of people starting on games. Like, what framework should I use? Like, what language yeah. should I use? Yes. What editor should I use? What map format? Isometric. Like, it doesn't matter. Whatever. Just start doing it. Yeah. Just pick one and do it. Um. So that's our current logo, and um, we never really we meant to go back and make like a um a vector version because you know legit logos are in vector, right? And ours is just this giant like four thousand by four thousand pixel <laughs> raster. Um, but we were kind of thinking these days, we're, we're moving a little bit more towards mentally like some kind of hourglass to also represent time. But we want to show like, you know, um, the thing I want to represent in the image is that there's more sand above than below, right? There's more time because left. More time left than there is time spent. That's the message that I want to get across. And that's kind of like an optimistic view, you know, that's going to be a very subtle uh, visual representation. I think a lot of people, they just, you know, you won't notice that maybe when you just glance at it or whatever. Uh, but I think that that's a, it's one of the subtle things that we want to get across is that, you know, there's time, you know, I talk to a lot of people that are like over 40 and they're like, uh, I just got the bug. I really want to make games. And I'm like, four, and I'm like, dude, whatever. Like I'm freaking 34. Is that a person over here is 60? Like who cares? This person I was talking to yesterday is 22. Who cares? It doesn't matter. There's, there's time left, you know, you just do whatever you're passionate about. Yeah. And the sooner you start, the better. Exactly. I mean, after exactly. that realization that you yes. want to do something. Yes. <laughs> Like, don't um, worry about too late or whatever. Yeah, I think a lot of times people just need a catalyst. And I think that uh, Indie Game, the movie, has done a lot for people in that regard where, um, you know, people didn't even really uh, realize, you know, like that. that's what happened with me is um, I don't remember which one it was actually, but I, I do remember first hearing about Indie Games like, oh, yeah, this game was made by a team of two, just, you know, some schmucks who work out of their houses. And, and I was like, what? Because up in, like... Up until that point, games were always like made by some Japanese company by probably a team of a hundred people. It was very mysterious. Like there wasn't the information available that there are these days. You know, you can go look on a website and find out who worked on what. You can go and uh, like like people are accessible. You know, developers you have access to developers. But back then, it was very mysterious. Yeah. Uh, games magically happen in Japan. Like you can't make games. <laughs> then I found out you can, and I'm like, oh, really? I gotta get in on that. You know. Back to the logo very quickly. I do think that uh, we should modernize our logo a little bit. I, while I like the logo we have, it's like very complicated. Yeah, it is busy. I think that if we were going to go design the logo from scratch today, uh, it would probably just be some simple shapes. I want to represent something that can be done with um, like zero and one values, basically like no colors, you know, pure vector, and it's either just you know transparent or solid white or something. Right. Uh, I want to do something like that. And, you know, we could have a version that's graphical and you take it in Photoshop and you paint it and that kind of crap. But like, yeah, we definitely need to have like, here's a dot AI or, you know, basically just a vector object you can download and it works at any scale. You can put it on a t-shirt, you can put it on a mug and it's like uh, recognizable as the goal, you know? Right. When people see it, they, you want to think like, oh, is that lost decade is the hope? <laughs> something based on time. Oh yeah, decade. Like, I don't know. I do like the idea of moving uh, more towards like the time component and away from the axe component. Why do you hate axes? I don't hate axes. Maybe I'll give you the axe. Wow. <laughs> Take that. Good luck with all that optimization, Matt. No, I have to do it. Plus, I have yeah. to do it from prison because I've <laughs> <Right>. murdered you. <laughs> um, so that's our uh, our logo story. Not too much to tell there. We kind of um, actually, I think on I'll put a link if I can find it as well. We did uh, a couple different rounds of stuff, and um, <laughs> some of them didn't turn out so hot. I think they're still on Flickr back when we used to use that. I'll put a link in the show notes. 
Um, if I, I thought could there was find a blog it. post about it, maybe. Oh, there might be. Yeah, yeah. Like so all, it wasn't it, just the one thing we did. We tried some other things. Like we put a dragon inside of a like a hourglass, basically, but like a glass one you could see through and sand dripping down on the dragon. And that was really complicated. And, I think uh, the story of our life is that, you know, we tend to complicate things more than they need to be. Hey, knowing is <laughs> half the battle. And uh, I, you know, personally, anyway, I've, I've realized that over like the last year or so as I overcomplicate everything. So taking steps back. Like I really, I love cutting things now. I'm a fan. I, I want to cut things. I want to come into, you know, my own projects and help other people with theirs and just be like, what can we get rid of? You know? <laughs> right. What can we cut throw it. away? What have you worked the hardest on? I want to get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> Kill oh, your darlings. Man. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Be ruthless. Yes. Um, so next we want to talk about monetization, which is a question from Tokyo Dan, one of our um, longest time listeners. So much appreciated there. Um, we're not going to do an exhaustive, like a whole episode on it, uh, because part of the thing is that, like, we only have uh, limited experience with monetization. There's like, there's so many ways to make money with your game. Uh, if I can find the link, I'll put a uh, link to it in the show notes. There was this article, it was something like 29, uh, you know, business models for games or something. And wow, is, that is sounds there like a lot, lot of, <laughs> yeah, there's so many different ways to go. I think they get kind of lumped up into general, like, oh, that's just a fancy way of saying in-app payments or, you know. That's just a special kind of contract. You know, like there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of differentiation like that, but they all can get kind of glommed together. Right. Um, but let's kind of go through them and enumerate them. And uh, we can talk a little bit about um, various ways to make money with your games. And then also at the end, we'll kind of uh, give a suggestion on like how to do these things and also where we think you should start. So like, let's say you've never made any money with your games and you've, maybe you're making games, maybe you're not, but you are interested in eventually monetizing them. Um, we'll hopefully put you on a path where uh, you might have some luck. I think that there's kind of two broad categories, like at first. One is, do you want to make money directly from consumers, players? Yes. Or do you want to make money from businesses? Right. Right. And so there's under the business umbrella, there's things like revenue share, licensing, um, just straight up contracts. Yeah. And uh, then under, you know, the consumer model, there's like direct sales. There's also in-app payments and there's also uh, advertising as well. So some of those models can work in either business or consumer uh, facing businesses, but the way that you go about them is going to be different. Yeah, so that's the there's a couple of questions like that need to be answered right off the bat, you know, is like um there's a really big difference between a mobile game and a desktop game. There's a really big difference between going, you know, B2B, like business to business, uh versus going straight for consumers. Really big difference there. Uh, I will say right off the bat that I think that it's much easier to make money, especially significant money, business to business. Right? Because like consumers are kind of like being hunted all the time, right? Like, and, and there's an analogy here because um, that's what the actual companies call the consumers. They call them whales, right? Like, what that, that, that that's supposed to form mental imagery. Like, we, <laughs> these are giant monsters that we're hunting and we kill them and we eat them, you know? It also uh, kind of comes down to your risk profile, right? Ooh. How much risk are you willing to assume, and, you know, relative to the payoff, right? It's a fancy term you got there. Right, yeah, it's, uh, it's my stock You put, you put that side. on a business plan, and people will be like, you know, business plan, look at this person. Ooh, risk profile. Look at you. <laughs> you must have an MBA. <laughs> Amazing. I do. I do have an MBA. No, you don't. Masters. You have a high school diploma. 
I do. Shut it. Just barely. <laughs> <laughs> a high school diploma and a master's in how to <laughs> how to start how to, a scrappy company. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Anyways, um, I think that the less risk less risky approach uh, is to do business related stuff. Definitely but agree. The payoff isn't going to be as good. And what you don't have like the potential of a home run. Right. I mean, um, it depends. It depends. Right. It depends on the structure. Like if you have, like you could say like congregate, where does that fall? Right. If you launch a game on congregate, they're getting some of the money, but players are playing your game directly and they're yeah. interacting with your game and maybe doing in-app purchases through the congregate system where right. you get a cut of the money. And so if your game goes crazy viral on Congregate, you could stand to make a whole bunch of money, perhaps. Yeah, that, that's the thing, too, is with games, we've talked about this before, it, there's never a simple answer. You know, like in our trailer episode um, from last time, we were talking about, like, you know, these are the best practices maybe for an action game, but games are so vast and so different and yet so similar. And you might have a game that has three different types of games inside of it. You know, it's it's complicated. Uh, and, and likewise, with the business models and, and your, your approach to, to marketing and business, you know, uh, we've seen contracts come on our table that actually shared uh, revenue as well. Like that's a total, that's a thing, you know, like we've right. seen licenses, obviously that's pretty much how licenses work is that it's either an upfront fee or you do like some kind of rev share thing. So like, uh, I understand what you're saying about how like um, you're not necessarily going to have as big an impact with business to business, but I think that depends on the scale. Cause what you're saying is let's say you make a pretty decent, I don't know, like a mobile game, right? And you've got two options generally to go is you want to sell it to a company and they can publish it or whatever, or uh, license it to them, right? Uh, or you can try to market it yourself and put it in the market. And in theory, it's technically possible anyone could put a game on, say, iPhone tomorrow for a dollar and then within a month be a millionaire. That is technically possible, right? But if you sell, a say, an exclusive license to your game for $50,000, there is a 0% chance, you know, if that's the only thing, if it's just the upfront fee, 0% chance you're going to make a million dollars in the next month. Uh, however right. unlikely that may be anyway but there, there could always be concessions like we were saying like maybe it's an upfront fee that's smaller than you were you know initially planning but there also comes with rev share deal so i think that um a good way to think about it is first you kind of your platform because that can make a big difference obviously there's games that work great on both but i especially think for beginners uh, and just when thinking about monetization if you've got desktop and mobile you know, if those are on your mind, you're targeting them both at the same time, that can be really exhausting and you don't always get the best results there. And they're just such different markets, you know, like if you want to make a free web game um, and a free mobile game, those might be kind of similar for you. But like on desktop, it seems that premium is kind of the way to go, you know, unless you want to do ads or in-app purchases like through Congregate or something like that, like you were saying. Or like, you know, the big free-to-play dogs on best, uh, desktop like League of Legends or Hearthstone. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, like League of Legends is yeah. Those kinds of games are uh, like like Blizzard and Riot are the few kinds of companies that can actually get away with like we don't need Steam. You know, everyone else is like, oh my god, Steam, <laughs> Steam, I love you, <laughs> please. Well, that's actually kind of you know part of the monetization question, right? Is that you need an audience, right? You're not going to yeah. make any money. <laughs> Doesn't matter who you're selling games to, right? Uh, if if you don't have an audience, yeah. And that's one area where the business to business approach can really be lucrative is that you know for an unknown kind of relatively new studio you know you can get your games played by thousands or hundreds of thousands of people by licensing them to companies that have an audience and want to like you know serve them games yeah, uh, yeah. and you can make some money right and and that's like 
you're hedging your bets, right? You can say, you know, I'm going to sell this game or license this game to this company for a few thousand bucks or whatever. And while I may not get the big payday, if it goes super viral, um, I get at least some money in my pocket and it's more of a consistent kind of deal. And so some people have made, you know, their entire business model is, you know, I make mobile focused games for licensing and I license, you know, those games to a number of companies. And so you may have like, uh, and we kind of went down this route a little bit in our starting days. It's how we kind of got a little bit of money to bootstrap ourselves. Um, but you take one game and you make it and you license it to 10 or 15 different portals for, you know, some amount of money. Right. In our experience, it was kind of along the lines of either 500 to $2,000, depending on the game and depending on the provider. And this was years ago, and this market changes rapidly. So these numbers might be in, you know, who knows when you're listening to this podcast. Hopefully it's, you know, soon, but it could be a year from now. So like... These numbers are really rough. There's going to be an ebb and flow. It could go above this at some point, but most likely these numbers are going down because the number of developers are increasing, right? But the specific number doesn't really matter so much. You know, it's more about the math behind, okay, you make this game and you can license it for X, and then you have X times Y, which is Y being the number of portals that you can license it to. And then you can stand to make, you know, Z amount of dollars per game. Right, yeah. And as long as that equation... You know, as long as Z is more money than it took <laughs> for you to develop the game, then it's a win. Yeah, exactly. I was say that's a that's a viable model, and um, I think that you know, especially for a studio starting out, it's a really good way to start because uh, oftentimes you, at least in our experience, the bar for mobile was a lot lower when we started, yes. and it's getting higher, but it's still, I think, not near the desktop bar. Right. Yeah. And so it's a way to kind of monetize your <laughs> experience to being a good game designer. Yeah, exactly. I feel like your first five to 10 games, and you know, like we've talked about this before, your firsts are hard to define, you know, but I would say finished. Your first finished five to 10 games should probably just be free. You're not going to make that much anyway, and you really want to get your name out there. You want to put your games in people's hands, and that gives you stuff to work with, you know? If you have one game that's like, oh, wow, this actually has a lot of players, yeah, even though it hasn't made any money, you might be like, oh, I'm kicking myself now for not charging for it. Totally different game, though, right? Like, it may not have found any gamers if you had charged for it right off the bat. So it's like, you kind of want to acquire interest and acquire users right from the very beginning. So I think it makes a lot of sense to make free games when you're starting off. And if you're doing that, um, you can just make them totally free and just count on like, this is some free stuff. It's kind of a loss leader while I'm learning and just trying to pull in users. Or you could stick some ads on it or you can try in-app purchases. And the fun thing about in-app purchases is these days you can use them anywhere. It used to be more of a mobile thing, right? It was like, oh, in-app purchases are great because, you know, iPhone and now, you know, Android and Google Play have these APIs where you can just say, I want to charge the user a buck or something, and it's already tied to the user's account and their mobile device, and it's super great. And it didn't really so much exist on desktop. Uh, if it did, it was more like, oh, yeah, you know, Riot built this system specific to just their own game kind of thing. But these days, Steam has in-app payments. There are free-to-play games on Steam. Even Xbox 360 has a free-to-play game. Uh, and they've had tactically in-app payments for a long time. You know, they've got DLC, have, yeah. and you can buy little costumes and that kind of thing. I um, think, but, though, that you have to be really careful with free-to-play. I think that of all the monetization models, it is the one that is going to affect your game design the most. Yes. You know? And it's hard to do that as well. Like, there's a lot to consider. You better know about funnels. You better know about, uh, like, A to B testing, because it's all about big numbers and optimizing those numbers, right? 
that and it's like you're marketing to a very specific section of your audience you know right with our game the value proposition like wizards lizard the value proposition is like you know everybody pays you know depending if you get on sale or not let's say five to fifteen dollars for the game right uh and then you play it for as many hours as you want to play it and that's that's it yeah but if you're designing a game for free to play you know the conventional math i've heard is that you know between one and three percent of your players are going to spend money in your game so we're talking a very low percentage of people playing your game which means that you need more people playing and so you've got gamers design your game such that it appeals to people that want to spend a lot of money the whales but also that it uh, appeals to people that don't want to spend any money because the whales need people to play with or against or you know you need a community around your game one way or the other yeah right i really do feel like it's very tempting to be like oh i can just put some ads up or i can just put some in-app payments up but like you're going to see freaking pennies man it's probably not going to be worth the while you need something like a million users to start to see like some actual the kind of money you would see with a successful premium game you know it's a really hard problem that looks simpler than it really is from the outside and think about a game like hearthstone right hearthstone that would not be able to extract money from the hardcore card collectors if the free card players didn't exist. Right, yeah. Because why bother buying all these great cards and having these stupid overpowered decks if you're not going to have anybody to wreck with them? Yeah, right? that's true. I, I that, feel really bad for people who have to make the decision of uh, how to monetize their like online multiplayer games. That sounds really tough to me because you have to balance between like you need to make some money somehow, but you also don't want to put up any friction for people signing up because online multiplayer games are better when there's other people to play against, right? Right. It's, it's a, a tough problem. It's a tough scenario, yeah. Um, and that, that's one of the reasons why, you know, for us, we decided to go with, you know, we want to sell our games for a specific price point directly to consumers um, yeah. without doing in-app transactions or anything because it's just a simpler proposition for everybody involved. Uh, it's simpler on us because we don't have to think about the ramifications of, um, you know, in-app transactions on the game. I mean, there's already so much overwhelming stuff to think about with regards to marketing and funnel and retention and oh, geez. game design and like, you know, all that stuff that goes into making a successful game costing money, just yeah. a very simple <laughs> price uh, yeah. is already so complicated. That I, I feel like we just, stayed away from the in-app purchase if nothing else in the world like there's so much complexity you already have to deal with when you're making a game and marketing it uh if you choose to go it's just free and i don't care and i'm just using it as a promotional tool just to get gamers and that kind of thing or i'm just charging an upfront upfront fee and that's it those are the two simplest and therefore i think especially for early on best ways to go because right. you basically are lowering your surface area. And like, if you think about it, if you don't have to worry about in-app payments and ads, which seems simple, but there's actually like a big flow to it and getting it right, not making it obnoxious and all that stuff, like just get that off your plate and your game will be better. You'll be able to focus more on your game. And that's what really matters. That's a pe- like every advice article you ever see, everyone always talks about just make make a good game, right? And if you can make it better by ignoring some other things and focusing on just the game, that's great. And so the other way that that works well is just licensing your game to uh, game licensors for a flat fee. Yes. And I don't really know the landscape of that so much anymore, but, you know, when we were doing it, um, it was actually pretty easy to get 
people to agree to a flat fee. Yes. Um, maybe because, you know, they would stand to make more money with ad revenue than yeah. they would be paying you license fees, you would hope. <laughs> but yeah. from a content creator perspective, you know, it was more simple for us to say like, okay, here's this game. We're going to license it to these 15 providers for X amount of dollars. And then we don't have to think about it. You know, we license to them, we give it to them. They make their money off of it. We've made some money off of it and we can move on. We don't have to think about the complexity. Yeah. Um, One way to think about um, the, if you're thinking about doing in-app payments and that sounds appealing to you or ads or whatever, um, with Lunchbug is a, is a really great example, actually, because we had in-app payments and they were not easy to implement and we could have done ads. We didn't decide to go that route. But like that game, I think in its lifetime, we, we talked about this before, is somewhere around $30,000 is about what that game made. And if you look at just the in-app purchases, it's like such a small fraction. It was all business to business, right? And yep. we remember uh, like when we first put it out there, it felt a little painful to be like, here's this free thing we've been working on for like six months or so, right? And it hurt to like, it's just free. We're not going to make any money with this. But the fact that it was free gave it longer legs and it was able to get out into the world a little more. People are more likely to share it and play it, right? And that helped it find licenses. And, and so that's one of the ways it made money. Yeah, the interesting thing is that us releasing that game on the web with our own in-app purchases did not really detract whatsoever from our ability to license that game to portals. Yeah. Crazy, right? It, like so, I don't know. Some things don't seem uh, intuitive. It's like... You, you think that you're going to make money in this way and you end up making money in a, in a different way. And they're not mutually exclusive, right? Like Yes, yeah. Uh, you can, like, Lunchbug was kind of our experiment. Like, hey, let's see what we can do with our own in-app purchases. And, and honestly, the reason it didn't work out well is probably twofold. One, we don't have our own audience to push towards that game. Right. In, in high enough numbers. Yeah. Uh, and two, we just, you know, we implemented the in-app transactions, integrated into the design of the game in a way that didn't really push the player towards buying things. Yeah. You know I mean? Like <laughs> that's a flow we were talking about earlier and that's really yeah. important. Like it looks so easy, you know, you can never tell how much design work something has had when you're just playing it or experiencing it, but there's a ton of work designs to sell you stuff and that's hard to do. Right. And it, as a designer, it kind of, I, I think, you know, taints your, your gameplay, right? I mean, yeah. If you think about designing a game like chess or checkers, now imagine designing that game with the caveat that you need to <laughs> entice players to spend, you know, secondary currency during the game somehow. Ugh, don't you just not want to think about money? Yes. Like ever? I just never <laughs> want to think about it. I, wanna, I really don't want to think about when I'm playing a game. That's completely against the point to me. I want to be immersed. I want to forget about life. I don't want to be like, oh, $3. Now I have to, I have to, you have to get back into reality to think about that. Have I been spending too much money this month? Do I have my credit card signed up? Do I have enough money for rent? Like, can I afford to eat? You know what? Screw this. I'm trying to trying to enjoy myself in this game. I'm, I'm supposed to be a lizard killing stuff. I don't want to worry about money right now. Right. <laughs> I think that... Uh, well, one last thing I wanted to say was that it also depends like what kind of a studio you want to be, right? Yeah. Do you want to be a studio that is like more focused on gameplay and you want to create great games for players and you're going to like kind of trust the fact that if you make good things, people will want to purchase them. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm oversimplifying here or the other side of the road where you're like games is a business and you know, I'm here to extract value from customers. Um, I'm going to use the data to make this happen uh, yeah. and maximize my profits. 
And so yeah. depending on how you approach your game design business, uh, that will kind of tell you how you should monetize. I think like we're at the point where we're just interested in money and games because you, you have to have the money part if you want to make a business out of it. And you have to have a business if you want to do it full time. And that's where we're at. You know, like we've always wanted to do this full time. And so it has to be a business. I know a lot of people like uh, there's DC gamers on or uh, game developers on Twitter who are just like, I never want to charge for my games. I think it's disgusting. It's just a hobby of mine. And I'm like, okay, that's a, that's totally cool if that's your thing, right? But even They probably within, have a job they love during the day to pay the bills, and they do the, the game stuff as a hobby or just in the spare time. And that's totally great, but it's a very different thing, right? But even within the caveats of like, I have to have it be a business, there's wiggle room, right? Because we're on the end of the spectrum where we're more of a lifestyle business, right? Yeah. where you and I want to make games and we really only care about making enough money to pay our rents and allow us to keep main ga- making games. Pretty much, right? yeah. Which is a pretty stark contrast to, you know, a company like, you know, Zynga perhaps, where they <laughs> see games as like, okay, here's a market we can exploit for, you know, for profit. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I mean, like, it's just a different approach. Yeah, Exactly. So uh, we've been talking about this probably longer than we intended, as we do, but three more things I wanted to talk about real quick. One of them is uh, binaries. Uh, one of them is contracts. We get a lot of questions about those sometimes. And then uh, last but not least, we'll end it with um, the easiest way to start, like where you should, uh, like pretty much what we would recommend if we would like, if we were starting today, we wanted to make some money with games. Um, so starting off, like, let's say, you know, there, we talked a lot about the mobile and the free and the uh, like open web approaches. But let's say you're more of like you're you're kind of where we are we are at these days where you're more of a uh, a core developer and you want to you want to distribute on desktop, and so uh, there's lots of different ways obviously to just make a binary out of your game. Even in HTML5 world where we are, it is uh, totally possible and quite doable. And there's lots of different options for you. Um, and I'll start at the very bottom where like you need to be able to charge people money basically, right? And so uh, we talk a lot about Positech games on this podcast, and uh, Cliff Ski has a lot of great advice, and so I'll put a link in the show notes to how to sell your game online without using an app store, which is uh, very unconventional these days, and it's really interesting to to follow Cliff Ski and see that uh, working so well for him. Uh, one example is, uh, I th- we did we implemented one of these, uh, BMT Micro, was that the one? Yep, we, did, we yeah. tried BMT Micro for a while. So you can like do a widget, kind of like Humble, I think. And if not, then you've got this whole like splash page. It'll basically be like, you know, you've got your landing page like we do with wizardslizard.com where like, you know, here's your trailer. Here's maybe a paragraph about the game or something. And then you've got like a buy now button and that would take you to this landing page. And you work with BMT Micro and you can set all that stuff up. And basically they take care of distributing the binary for you and then they will pay you and they take a small cut. And that's really great because you've got complete control. You've got your own website. You've got BMT Micro doing exactly what you want it to. And if you don't like them for some reason, you can cut them and use somebody else. There's, I'm sure there's a bunch of different options to go. Um, another way that makes a lot of sense, and this is how we do it, we actually do this approach we were just talking about. But instead of having a BMT Micro link off, we instead have a humble widget, which is super awesome. And there's, you could actually go to a, a separate landing page and do it there. But we've got this little widget where you can pretty much complete your purchase right there. Uh, Humble takes a very small cut. They are really easy to work with. Their doors are wide open. Uh, you do have to email them to get started, but that's a way that makes a lot of sense. Um, one way that's picking up a lot of uh, Steam <laughs> these days is uh, HIO, which is uh, becoming kind of the default, like, uh, just use this because it's easy and it works kind of situation. So, like, this is probably where we would have started these days before we were like, we don't know anyone at Humble. Is that it? Like, invite only? You remember that? You know, yep. that time period? 
Uh, if itch.io was available at that time, we probably would have tried it just because it's uh, easy and low-hanging fruit. I think that BMT Micro and, and FastSpring and those kinds of things can work as well, but in my experience, they're a little more dated. Right. And so I think you're absolutely right. If we were going to do that today, it would either probably be itch.io or Humble. Yeah. Um, I have a particular affinity for Humble just because yes. I like those guys, and I think that they, they do a really good job, and I like the way that their stuff is set up. Now, I know um, when it, when we say, like, you have to email them, to, like, Humble is different, you know? When you email almost any company, you're like, oh, I have to email them? Okay, I don't know when I'm going to hear back. I don't know if I'll hear back. I don't know who I'm going to talk to. I might talk to three different people. Like, Humble's not like that, man. You email them, you get a response a day of. They're, they're like, they're so friendly, and they're always like, I hope that helped. Let me know if you need anything else. <laughs> like, I just want to reach out and give them a hug. I want to reach into my monitor, like, oh, come here, Humble. Are you the best? <laughs> you just give them a little, like, a little noogie. Oh, I just love you. So rub your head. The other reason that we like Humble is because it's kind of a stepping stone to like three, it's like a three-tiered approach, right? So Humble, they don't just have the widgets for people to sell on their own sites. They have that, yep. but then they have the Humble storefront, which is kind of like a Steam-ish curated style. You know, you come here and you see a whole bunch of games and you can buy them. And so yep. making the transition from the widget to the store is super easy. Yeah. And you know, Humble gets a non-insignificant amount of traffic. It puts your foot in the door, too. Like, if you have, an, let's say you make an indie game and you put it in Humble and you've got your little widget and maybe they were like, hey, you want to put this in the store, too? And you're like, sure, let's do it. Like, that's just done. You don't have to do any additional work. They just kind of whoop, magically make that happen. And then if you get really lucky and you've got a really awesome game, they might be like, hey, there's this game in our system. We want this in a Humble bundle. Cha-ching, right? Right. Like, that is possible. So how awesome would that be? So getting in with Humble, I think, is just a, is a good idea because they yes. have a lot of reach in various facets. Yeah. Um, there's really no reason not to do HIO as well. But if you're going to start out, like you need to have one of those. These days, we've talked about this. We've talked about it ourselves. I don't know if we've mentioned this on the podcast. Maybe. Probably. <laughs> but, but these days, uh, we are about focusing. So like... I, I would pick your one thing. I would. I, I would say go with HIO or go with Humble. Do not do both. At least to start, you know, because we did this thing where we threw out a big net, right? We were like, we, you know, we, we I don't know if we even had Humble in the mix yet, but we definitely did not have Steam. And our logic was like, we don't know anything about these markets. We don't know anything about, you know, Green Man Gaming, good old games. We don't know anything about these, these various platforms. So we threw a big net and we got it out onto like, I don't know, a small handful of platforms. And it's just obnoxious these days. They make up for like 0.001% of our sales. Yeah. They require a little bit of maintenance on our part. Like just email this dude once in a while. They'll complain and be like, your game's out of date. You haven't sent me the binary. It's the surface area problem again, right? The fewer platforms you have to worry about, the more time you can spend making an excellent game. So my yep. personal recommendation is just to, just to do the one. If, if there's a way people can buy your game, stick to that. Um, and the one exception is the last but not least listed on the binaries, uh, Steam, <laughs> which we've talked a lot about. And there's probably a whole episode that you could go and talk about Steam. But basically, the gist is these days you have to form a Steam Greenlight campaign. You better get lucky. And if it gets on there, then, then you're in. And that's your only avenue unless you know someone personally at Valve. Right. Uh, but Steam is, again, like, you know, everybody knows it's a giant monopoly and um, their sales and their attention and their users just eclipse everything else. So pretty much, I think, if you're making an independent desktop game, your goal is to get on Steam. It really is. I mean, in our personal experience, that is just going to be <laughs> far and away your largest share of sales. Just yes. absolutely dwarfing everything else. Exactly. So if you want to talk about focus, Steam is where to focus. Yeah, it's not a guarantee, so you do need to have a backup plan. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, don't don't depend on Steam. Like you might not be able to make it happen. It's it's a very magical, <laughs> nebulous system. Plus, you need a way because Steam has this campaign style thing. You need a way to capture interest and sales while you're trying to get on Steam. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so exactly. And I was gonna say, I, I think that you know, if you are gonna focus on on one of these payment pl- uh, processors, Humble is, is probably the best way to go, just because I think it has better brand recognition. It does uh, yeah. than HIO, and it has the you know sort of tangible benefits of Humble storefront and potential Humble bundle. I think it's got good recognition. You know, a lot of people it hasn't reached the mainstream mainstream, but like a lot of people know about Humble Bundle. And uh, you very often will see, like on prominent independent developer sites, you'll see a humble widget. So that recognizes ability for people. You know, they see that and they feel very comfortable. And that's important. It's important to feel comfortable when you're yep. thinking about whipping out your wallet. Because some people, when they see this BMT micro page, like you were saying, that looks a little dated, looks a little, might look a little fishy to you, like a slight fish smell. It's totally <laughs> legit, but it's all about the appearance, right? And you're like, right. it decreases your confidence and therefore your likeliness of, you know, actually paying, right? My biggest issue with BMT Micro, honestly, was that their interface is just so dated. I mean, it looks like a turnkey storefront from the 90s. Yeah, exactly. And that's just not what consumers of the modern internet expect, I think. Right. To be fair, it was quite a while ago that we were looking at that. When was that? 2013 or something? It was a couple of years ago, but yeah, still. So for all we know, they've updated it, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they haven't. Um, anywho, so uh, this is another big one, and this is something that people don't really think about as much because uh, it's not really something that you know uh, game consumers really interact with much. Because why would they? But it's contracts, and this is one of big one of the biggest reasons that we're still afloat, right? If it wasn't for contracts, we would have. Uh, you know, we would have done a Titanic a long time ago where we have this <laughs> long, slow death. Um, but contracts are very, I think, intimidating from the outside because they seem like this magical thing like, oh, yeah, we're doing a game contract. And you're like, what? Like, what is that? Where'd you get that? How do you get that? I want one. What, what is it? <laughs> how, how do those happen? And uh, we've had people ask us that quite a bit is like, how do you how do you get contracts? And this is a... Um, First, I guess, what is, a, what is a contract? And usually what it is, is like a company basically has a portion of money and they want to give it to a developer. And maybe this company is just a publisher. Maybe this company has their own internal development, but those developers are tied up. Maybe they just want to run an experiment. Maybe they want this very specific thing. Maybe they themselves have received a contract and they're outsourcing it. Like they've got too much on their plate because they've got a lot of great contacts at a big company. But for whatever reason, uh, these companies usually, they want to pay a lump sum and they want to get a game back after a specified period of time. And what has been most common for us, I don't know why this is, most common is three months. And I don't know why. Uh, I'm sure it's probably much different for, say, if you're making a console game, it's probably going to be more like two years, like Spelunky took two years on Xbox, right? Um, how to get them is uh, is really, again, nebulous because I think it's just a matter of uh, increasing your mind share, being well-known, and that's something that's really hard to do, you know? It's like, get your name out there, write a bunch of articles, make a podcast, you know, like uh, post stuff on Gama Sutra, cross-post blogs on uh, on other people's... Um, go to events. That's a big one, right? Because we've had some contracts come in just from, like, making friends from people that we've met um, at conferences, like, you know, Casual Connect or GDC is a big one. I was to say, sadly, the, it just kind of comes down to networking. Like a lot of other business networking, deals, yeah. you know, the people that get the contracts, the people that network. Right. And in our specific case, you know, we did well for ourselves because we were kind of 
in the HTML5 scene early on. And so we kind of positioned ourselves as HTML5 developers. We put out games for free and we kind of just, you know, made a little bit of noise. And we were lucky enough to have people come to us because, you know, they would be Googling HTML5 games and we would be one of the few results that came up. But I don't think that that can't work today, you know? I think that if you want to land contracts, you need to put yourself out there as a, you know, we are HTML5 developers. I mean, if that's... If HTML5 is your thing. Yeah. Um, I really have no idea how to go about getting contracts for other kind of game. <laughs> I imagine kind of it's about tech. the same, right? Go to conferences, network. I, I think a really good approach is make friends with someone else or some other team that has a contract or has multiple contracts because sometimes, this has happened with us even, is uh, you'll get two contracts on your plate and you're like, crap, we only have time for one. What do we do with this other contract? You can yeah. give it to your friend. And that's that's how you sometimes get a contract is you're like <laughs> your second pick, maybe your third pick. Who cares? You got a contract and that can help you stay afloat. And, it, you know, someone else is paying for you to make a game and therefore learn and benefit. And uh, yeah, contracts are a, a pretty big win, pretty good way to go. And here's the thing. I mean, we have limited experience in certain realms with, with regards to contracts and licensing and stuff. And I think that if you're interested in that business model and you want to know more, your best bet is to go uh, integrate yourself into the community at html5gamedevs.com, uh, which is the HTML5 forum community run by PhotonStorm. Um, because I think the people there in that community will be able to help you and point you in the right direction a lot better than we can. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, so like the the short answer for how to get a contract is just go make a ton of friends. Go network, you know, and it's not going to happen. You're not going to be like... I announced my startup last week. We're, you know, Green Hog Games, and we don't have a game yet, and then the contract lands on your lap. Not going to happen, you know? The contracts usually go to people with uh, proven records, or at the very least, you have relationships with the people who are making the decisions. And, uh, you know, in our case, doing, like, little game jams and putting the games up for free, you know, was actually pretty beneficial. I think that I've often said that Onslaught Arena is the best resume we've ever had. It is. It completely uh, is. We've gotten contracts. We've gotten jobs. We've gotten lots of offers to license the game. I mean, just having, you know, and maybe the success of that particular game and the quality of that game wouldn't be repeatable today. Right. Um, but, I mean, something along those lines uh, is what you need to do to get your name out there. Yeah. Last night, I went to a local meetup. It was um, Women in Gaming International, Women and Men meetup. So, it was a wiggy wham. Really like, somebody said that there and i was like what is a wiggy wham and they're like well it's we're here for wiggy and this is a wham it's a wiggy wham i'm like awesome <laughs> i really like this just fun to say <laughs> uh, but it was really cool i met a bunch of uh like there's some people from riot there so there's like you know uh, industry people and then there's some people who are like you know i just program uh at this company it's just like software or whatever uh but i'm really interested in games or people who were like oh you know i actually work at a film company but we just started uh, a division for games because we got a bunch of money and we're <laughs> looking to spend it on uh, making some games and that kind of stuff. So that was pretty interesting to see. And for the people who are just getting started, I, I used that uh, as an example, actually. I was like, uh, we got our first jobs in the industry by just making a game. We made, you know, it was Onslaught Arena. We made it and basically company was like, oh, cool. It's, it looks good enough. You just hired. It wasn't even an interview. It's just you have game, you have job. <laughs> and that's not going to be everyone's uh a big part of that too i think is this was something where it was a, a, a like a locality thing like we were local right it was local we like it was the timing drive away you know like that that makes a big difference yeah there's i mean as with anything there are so yeah. many factors involved like you Luck, know timing. most of the jobs that i've had over my programming career you know 
were products of knowing somebody. Yes. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where, you know, that's the nature of the beast, right? Network, so network, funny. network. Like we have so many introverts who listen, like we ourselves are very introverted. Like have you left your house this week, Jeff? Uh, you had to think about it <laughs> at the very least. I, I did remember. actually, but what? That's crazy. Yeah. But like, I, I know a lot of people hearing this advice, they're like, uh, I have to go to conferences. I have to talk to people, make friends. Like, yes. <laughs> sorry. These things come <laughs> from people. Like con- a contract will, you know, come into your inbox through a person, you know, and, and if you've talked to that person, it's much more likely that they will actually send it to you in the first place. Right. Um, so actually going back to Onslaught Arena real quick, this is the uh, the final point, the easiest way to start. And, and that's like, basically, if you want to start making money is the caveat, right? Because uh, if you want to start making games, go listen to Lost Cast 101, Game Dev 101. That tells you where to begin, like what kind of you know platform you should be using and that kind of stuff. But once you've gotten past that and you've made a handful of games, right, you want to start making some money. Um, these are this is kind of our advice, and um, with Onslaught Arena, here's here's a here's a scenario. I'm sure we talked about this before, but here's a quick summary of it. Um, we were making Onslaught Arena, and we were thinking we were just going to make it free for you know some of the reasons we've talked about. We just wanted to have longer legs and that kind of thing, right? And this Google representative we were working with, uh, this is when the Chrome Store we were going to launch with the Google Chrome Store. Uh, this representative actually pushed us towards charging, and uh, I think we had like a ten dollar price tag on it at first. No, it was, it was like five bucks. Five bucks. I, I think ten was recommended though, and we were like, Jesus, <laughs> let's try five. Um, really interesting because it did make a small portion of money, like not m- much, right? Just being attached to a brand new Google product uh, it had a little bit of trickle of sales. But uh, what was really interesting is we were talking to these guys uh, from Gopherwood Studios at the time, and they had a game called Entanglement. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And their game was free, and I don't even think it had at the time any kind of ads or in-app purchases or anything. It was just like a puzzle game that's free, right? And they had over a million players, technically, at one point, because its free nature allowed it to be bundled in with one of the versions of Chrome. It's Probably still not in modern Chrome, like what are we on, like 40 or something these days, but I don't know what this was, like Chrome 18 or something. Anyway uh got bundled with chrome that's huge we would have killed for that kind of distribution you know and our price tag uh this isn't always gonna be the case obviously but it it held us back right crazy that and like you know our game just doesn't have the kind of mass appeal that a puzzle game like that would that's a good point too yeah i mean you you could say that like given both games free games um they probably google probably still would have picked entanglement to bundle because it's just it's got wider appeal it's not this niche kill things with extreme dexterity kind of game right yeah so our um like our very first start with uh making a game that we intended to make money with was onslaught defense i'm sure we've talked about this before but uh real quick it was basically we wanted to take uh onslaught arena and kind of make a mobile version of it something really simple something that would be easy to license something that'd be easy to brand so we took like two weeks or it was crazy how, how quick we just like bleh, just like dumped that game out uh really straightforward but people who played it were like yeah there's something about it it's just very you know satisfying it doesn't need much more complexity than this you know and we actually at the time we reached out to uh space monsters who i'll, I'll put a link to um space monsters and uh and mark's games in the show notes and uh basically um space monsters had a blog where you know oh i make mobile arcade games and i license them and here's how that's going and so we were like, hey, I mean, we, we're just starting. We don't know what in the world we're doing. Can you, like, put us on the right path? And um, Mark was extremely helpful. 
Uh, that's kind of how we made our first couple of sales. Um, these days you have some more tools like Market.js. Um, I'll say too, like uh, I don't personally follow uh, Matt Valhalla, but I uh, this, per- this is a person who makes a living making H- like you know free to play or like very simple HTML5 games and licenses them and makes a living. And uh, the reason I mention it is because um, Matt will also blog about like here's my finances for every single month and just incredible transparency, right? And I so, think he also sells an ebook about how to get started making money with HTML5 Oh, games. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, if that's the kind of thing you want to do, um, at the very least, there's a bunch of data there that you can go and analyze and uh, see, like, how long it takes to get started and what kind of money you can expect once you get at the point where you've been doing it for a few years, um, like that person has. And so that's not a bad place to at least go and look and kind of get a feel for the current uh, environment of um, making H- uh, money with HTML5 game licenses. Um, and so a really good approach, I think, even today, like it's been a couple of years, so we don't have, uh, you know, modern day, like up to date experience with this. But basically you can make a free game, right? You can just put it online, put it out there, put it on market.js, put it on html5gamedevs.com because like we know publishers do look at those things, you know, they'll find them. Um, and then you yourself go and find uh, online mobile portals and email them and be like, hey, I've got a game, you know. And there's a couple ways to go about it. You should probably try a mixture of uh, whatever they want to do. You know, if they've got some upfront, they're like, hey, we want to license your game for, you know, a non-exclusive license that requires some branding and API integration, and we want to give you $400. Do it. And if there's another company like, oh, we don't do upfront payments. We want to do like a, you know, a 50-50 rev split or something. Do it, right? And then like after six months, you'll see, okay, which one of them actually ended up making me more money? Like maybe the rev uh, split was a horrible idea because it made me $2. Maybe the rev split ended up being much more lucrative than the upfront fee would have been, you will not know until you do it. Right. Uh, the other thing you can do is, is you know, what is something that is hard to do sometimes is negotiate. Um, yeah. I think there's been several cases where people have come at us with like, you know, what we kind of felt were low ball offers, right? Yes. Like some people, like the going rate uh, for games back when we were doing stuff was like between 500 and $1,000 for like yeah. really simple games like Onslaught Defense. And people come at us with like, oh, here's 350 for your game. And we'd say, you know, that's not really, you know, we feel like we want 500. And about half the time people would say, great. And then half the time they would say, no, thanks. And so, uh, you know, a little bit of negotiation on your part. Also with the rev split, you know, some people would come at us with like, oh, we'll pay you, you know, we'll, we'll take 70, you take 30. And we'd say, you yeah. know, no, we, we really want more like 50, 50 or like 60, 40 in our favor or whatever. That has always paid off. Uh, some of the friends we had talked to actually um we would talk to them about like oh hey there's a hot quote hot client that means someone who's got money and they want to buy games and uh you know we ended up getting a higher rev split than they did and they were kicking themselves for just all you got to do is push like the worst what's the worst that can happen they say no okay yeah if you're desperate for the money or something then whatever but it's worth the risk even if they say no it doesn't mean no we're not going to do business with you anymore it just means you know we reject that offer and you could still come back and say, you know, okay, well, I'm fine with your initial thing. You know, I want to make some money or whatever, you know? Yeah. Just don't burn any bridges and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, but you're I, I don't think no. there's any, yeah, you're not going to risk burning <laughs> any bridges by just saying, you know, well, what about, you know, what about this? Or we'd really like to do X. Like, is there any way you can do, or, you know, maybe meet in the middle, right? If you want 500 and they say 350, you can say like, what about 400? What about 425? And I got 400, I got 400, I got 425, 425, 425, 450. <laughs> it's just one of those things that as a business owner, uh, you should do. Yes. To maximize your own value because, you know, of course, 
people like other businesses are going to try to maximize their own value. So they're going to p- try and pay you as little as possible for your games. And so yeah. it's your responsibility to kind of, you know, negotiate. <laughs> yeah. It, it sucks. We've had these conversations too, where we are like, Oh, Hey, we got this offer. What do you think? And we're like, oh, we, we need to do our due diligence. We need to ask for more. And yeah, we'd, we'd have those conversations. Yeah. We'd be like, this amount of money is okay. And we'd probably do it for this, but just as a business and we want to survive and we want to thrive, we need to ask for more. And there's a lot right. of reasons to do it. One is because it, it could. This is a possible scenario. Hey, we want to license your game for 500. That sounds great, but we're thinking more like 750. Okay, right. that could be the scenario. You make 50 percent more money with an email, right? That's possible. And if you do not get that, even if it's a worst case scenario where they say this is too much, goodbye. You have gained experience. You have benefited. You have not just gained the knowledge of what this particular client is like to deal with. You have also gained the confidence to do it. You've gained the experience of having done it. It's always easier the next time. You know, like there's so many more reasons to do it than to not. Because the reason to not do it is because you're lazy or you don't want to. Or you think it might be risky, but it's not. You know, like the the reasons to not do it are lame. (laughs) So do it. (laughs) Right. That's true. There really is no good reason not to try and negotiate. Because if you do it in a professional manner, you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. And if you try to negotiate and someone becomes really shady and obnoxious, you probably don't want to work with them anyway. Because these True. licenses are usually not, like, once in a blue moon, we've had these where it's like, hey, I want to give you some money for your game. Okay, yay, done. Right? Usually they're more like backs and forths. Like, hey, I found this bug on this device that we care about. And you're like, what device? I got to go find that device now or an emulator or something. Here's our or API like, docs. We want you to integrate with our leaderboards and like back yeah. and forth and test it on here and there. And yeah. Yeah. You're going to have to include this this JavaScript file. You're going to have to use this really stupid JavaScript call. It's not conventional. It's not just a function call. It's like you got to you know, do some crazy like URL rewriting or something <laughs> or like branding. <laughs> you, uh, we really, we want a more games button on the title or we want like, um, you know, when the game ends, we want to put up a logo or a banner. Like it's usually not as simple as just here's your money, here's my game. And that means you're going to have to be dealing with this person anyway. So if a little bit of back and forth and negotiation is going to be a problem, then you don't want to get in bed anyway. That and you should also factor that into your price when you're negotiating, you know, most times Absolutely. it's going to require you to do extra work. You know, because you're going to have to integrate with the API. You're going to have to add the splash screen. And that's usually on the order of hours of work. Yes. So So consider it, you know, like uh, our studio, like our hourly fee is like hundreds of dollars. Like it it depends. And I don't know what exactly it is, but like you need to think about that. You know, if someone tells you, I need you to integrate with uh, unknown API and do an unknown amount of work to, you know, integrate the banner and stuff you can roughly estimate you're like that's going to take me like four hours and like maybe your time is worth a hundred dollars an hour that's gonna be an extra 400 bucks you know you gotta you gotta think about it yep so that's monetization uh we did not actually have time to talk about 3d we never will um so, maybe next week <laughs> well i don't know so next week we've got a pretty coming up pretty soon we've got an interview and then uh we're gonna do a local cast this month as well i'm gonna drive Ooh. up to uh san diego and uh those podcasts are always fun um, but then uh, after that stuff, if uh, <laughs> we really will get to the 3D eventually, and uh, we don't have anything to talk about on the Project Skirmish um, front yet, but our goal is to hit that really hard really soon, and I think we want to do an announcement of what the actual game is by end of this month, if we can manage that. Yeah, so we're actually in a good spot off. on that. Uh, we pushed the challenge mode stuff t- for Wizard Lizard to Steam beta. Uh, it's probably going to go live for everybody later this week, Yeah, uh, as soon as we kind of, you know, tie up the loose ends or whatever, but the latest build's feeling pretty stable, so 
Yeah. That's going to hit. And then uh, we're going to turn our focus over to Project Skirmish. I'm really excited. I can't wait to start like full steam ahead on the next game that we plan, like a you know a full game from LDG that we plan on launching like the best we can. I, I can't wait. Yep. I'm really excited. As usual, thank you a lot for listening. Yeah, uh, don't forget to check us out online. Uh, give our forums a look, forum.lostagagames.com. Haven't had a post from our uh, T2 Norway, our, our resident uh, uh, DJ. So, uh, And we're all out of Waveform 5, so- five songs from Joshua Morse, so I'm going to play you out with, uh, with my personal favorite. Thanks for listening. Ship it.
And the robot would actually know answers to things. I ask you stuff and you're like, uh, here's my, here's my wrong answer. <laughs> it's not wrong. It's just uninformed. The robot would be like <laughs> searching internet and are found human. <laughs> <laughs> human. <laughs>